Uh, we're going to continue in 1 Peter chapter 4 uh, this morning, and um, as I was kind of laying out these sermons, I thought we would be a little bit further along, and I thought as I... I thought we were going to be talking about suffering uh, again this morning. I was praying like, okay, Lord, how do we deal with suffering on Valentine's Day? Like, that's not really the message you want to preach. So things didn't quite go as quickly as I thought. And so we have this verse this morning, love covers a multitude of sins. So thank you, Lord. Uh, This is going to work out good. But... uh, have, have you heard the different predictions over the, over the course of your life about the end of the world coming, right? Uh, so some people, it's like some major apocalypse they think uh, is going to happen, a meteorite or something. Um, there was the, it, in 2012, there was this talk that the Mayan calendar um, was predicting that on January, January 12th, so 12-12-2012, the world was going to end. Um, I remember being, um, when, I was, when I was young, uh, there was a lot of talk going on, and so I was Googling that this week, and so um, I think this was the occasion, but in 1988, a gentleman wrote a book, it sold 4 million copies, 88 reasons the world will end in 1988, and he was predicting the return of Christ, and, and I believe his days were like between September 11th. September 11th and 13th, 1988, Christ was going to return. Of course, he didn't. And so for the new year, he had a new book. 80, I'm not kidding you, 89 reasons the world will end in 1989. I, I'm not sure how many of those copies sold, but uh, there's, there's always this kind of talk. And we, we talked last week, and, I, and we showed the rope if you, were, if you were tuning in online, We just have a short time here on earth, but eternity is just that. It is eternal. It is forever. And uh, so Peter's challenge in the verses we looked at last week was, how are you going to live your life, for the passions of the world or for the will of God? And so um, this morning, as he continues, we're going to start in verse 7, reading it uh, together. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we believe that this morning. We believe that uh, to you alone belong glory and honor and praise and worship. And Lord, uh, we've done that this morning, Lord, and we've uh, lifted your name up because yours is the name to be lifted. And, and Lord, as we just look at this scripture together, would you teach us, would you show us, would you give us understanding, and give us a desire to live this out this week, Lord. We just pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Peter says it here, the end of all things is at hand. So maybe it's, it's Peter's one of these ones that started to get this ball rolling about uh, the, end of, the end of time. Of course, Peter does, didn't give a date for it. Scriptures don't give a date when Christ will return, but all the way back to, to, the, to Jesus' disciples and the first apostles and the early church, 
they were expectant of Jesus' return. And I hope and pray that we're expectant of Jesus' return today. Jesus spoke this way to his disciples. He, he told them in John chapter 14, verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So the disciples had this idea. Jesus was gonna go away. They maybe didn't understand it at the time, but then Jesus did go away and then they were expecting that he would return. Um, if, if you read through the New Testament, it's a theme that just, uh, is just kind of saturated throughout all of the New Testament books. Um, in Revelation alone, Jesus says um, in the last chapter of Revelation, so the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Jesus says, I am coming again soon. So we have to say that the, the time of Christ's return is closer today than it was then, right? Every day is a day closer to Christ's return. So how is this, uh, how, is, how are we to, to handle this? What are we supposed, what should our, our response, our attitude should be? Well, Peter says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. <clears throat> um, we got a little preacher in the works, go both. Um, we are to, we're to keep our minds clear. This idea of, uh, of being self-controlled is to, um, to not just burn with passion over these things, but to have, but to have control, to be sober-minded, to, have our, to keep our mind clear. And as we, as we look at this verse, there's some, there's some parallel passages to this where it's talking about um, the, the, end of, uh, the end of time, or we would normally say Christ's return, um, and it talks about our attitudes towards it, and it talks about having love, and we're gonna get to the love in a minute. But if, you, if we look at Romans chapter 13, just that we're gonna look at two other references uh, in the New Testament talking about Jesus' return. So in Romans chapter 13, um, Jesus, or excuse me, Paul has just written that uh, he's talking about some of the commandments. He's saying that the commandments are summed up. Jesus summed them up by saying, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And in verse 10, he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So Paul's writing about um, loving one another, uh, serving your, your neighbor, doing what is right, because our salvation or the return of Christ is closer now than it was before when we first believed. In Titus chapter two, Paul writes this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is Jesus came, he brought salvation for all people, and this salvation trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So as, as a result of our salvation, this should be our desire. Uh, to put, put aside ungodliness, put aside worldly passions, and, and live upright, self-controlled lives. It sounds a lot like what we've been looking at in 1 Peter. Verse 13 says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're, we were saved, we're gonna renounce our worldly passions, we're gonna live for Christ because we are waiting for the return of Jesus. In here in Titus is saying, we've been saved for a purpose. We are to do the good works God's prepared for us until Jesus returns. We see it all through the scripture was the mentality of 
of the, of the Christians, of the apostles, of the disciples of that time, and it should be uh, our focus as well. So Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Jesus is closer to coming than he's ever been. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded, not to, to, to uh, sell all your possessions and gather on a mountain and wait for the return. I think that happened back in the 1800s, uh, the, the Millerites, they called them, or some 50,000 people uh, sold everything they had and gathered, and they were just going to wait for uh, Jesus to return on a certain day. So Peter says, no, curb your passions, but be self-controlled and sober-minded. Keep your mind clear so that you could pray. Now, we know Peter understood the importance of prayer because he spent maybe three-something years with Jesus, and he would watch Jesus go off into the wilderness alone to pray to the Father. He would um, watch Jesus stop to pray um, at critical points. He actually fell asleep in the garden the night before Jesus was crucified. Jesus was there to pray, and there, and there Peter was falling asleep with some of the other disciples. Um, of course, Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, our Father who art in heaven. And I wonder, as Peter writes this, if he's not thinking about that prayer that Jesus taught them. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come, excuse me, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what Peter's saying. Don't live according to human passions, but for the will of God. So Peter's saying, keep your mind clear, be, be in prayer, pray that God's will would be done, and uh, just have a clear and um, uh, rational mind towards these things. So a couple things, I just want to mention a couple things about the, the return of Christ that we, that we do know and, and just a couple of notes that we can make on it. His return is still imminent. The disciples believe that and we believe that today. So what do we mean when we say Christ's return is imminent? Because if it was imminent 2,000 years ago, how can it still be eminent today. Well, I think that we, we mean a couple of things when we say that. All the pieces are in place for Jesus to return. Jesus came, he lived the perfect life, he gave his life as a sacrifice, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, uh, and then he ascended to the Father in heaven. So all, all those things have already happened, and now the stage is set as we read um, as we read the scriptures and understand the next major event is that Christ would return for his church. So um, those things have happened. So in that sense, Jesus could return at any time. Um, but one thing that we also know is that the time is unknown, and the scriptures are very clear. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. So if you hear someone saying, calculating dates, and you can go online, and there's several more dates out there that have been calculated for the supposed return of Christ, we don't know the time. The day and the hour is not known. Jesus told his disciples uh, concerning that day and hour, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only knows that day and time. So what do we do until then? We're, we're, we know it could happen at any time. We don't know when it's going to happen, so as Christians, what should we be doing? We should be making disciples. That was Jesus' instructions to his disciples before he left. Go make disciples, baptizing them. Uh, Peter would say in, in, the, in his next letter, 2 Peter, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So um, we should live the rest of our time, and this is what we talked about last week, live the rest of our time, not for our human passions, but for the will of God, which would be to share the gospel with those who do not, do not know. So um, the end is at hand. Be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers so that you can pray clearly. 
But above all, here verse eight, here's our Valentine's verse, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, more importantly than anything else, like this is the the most important thing that we can do. Keep this in mind, love one another earnestly. So Peter's already mentioned twice in his his letter that we are to love each other with brotherly love. Now this is the second time in the letter that he said that we should love one another earnestly. So this is with, um, maybe your translation says fervently, but to love each other with passion, with intentionality, um, with, with, with all that we have. Love isn't just an emotion, it is something that we dedicate ourselves to. Um, loving earnestly, fervently, deeply, deeply, you know, continuing to love even if that love isn't reciprocated. Hopefully that with Valentine's Day with you and your spouse, the love was reciprocated. You know, you got her flowers, she got you chocolates. I, you know, I don't know what you guys do. But that's, that's, that's wonderful. But even if love is not reciprocated, we should continue to love is what this passage is saying. Seeking the good and the well-being of the person that you are attempting to love. Um, so this is the kind of love that we have, not this... Not the um, sort of infatuation that maybe begins a relationship, but the deep love that sustains the relationship. But it also says this, love covers a multitude of sins. Boy, what does that mean? I mean, it it, it means just what it says. It covers, it it hides, it veils, it it puts a covering over uh, sin. So what does, that doesn't sound right, does it? Like we should just cover up sin? Well, let's, let's, let's think about what that means. He's not, Peter's not talking about uh, making an attempt to get away with it, you know, help someone get away with their sin. The Bible would teach against that in, in many places. It doesn't mean if we hide the sin, maybe no one will know and there won't be any consequence. That's not what this is saying. Um, this isn't uh, an attempt to pardon the sin or to condone sin. Well, if nobody knows, then maybe it's not a big deal. But what love does is love forgives sins. In love, we, we deal with the wrong. We deal with the sin, but when we're done dealing with it, then we just let it go. And that's where forgiveness comes in. Uh, we're not to hold it over someone's head, a, a wrong. We're not to seek retribution, but we are to forgive. And then we are to protect the one that is sinned in this way. Our tendency is to want to talk about the juicy stuff, right? You know, so I go, hey, f- hey, Phil, did you hear what uh, Pastor Daryl said? I overheard Pastor Daryl say this. Could you believe he would say something like this? What, what is that? That's gossip, that's slander, that's unfortunately our tendency sometimes, right? Uh, to, to, to want to talk. Karen, did you, did you, I, I got something. Did you know that... That's what our tendency is to do. And if we're talking about one, that's gossip, that's slander, and, if, and that's not covering sin. So um, what, our, what we should do is we should protect that person who's sinned. They've already, they've sinned. Uh, let's say it's been dealt with. We're not talking about a sin we're trying to hide, but it's a sin that's happened. It's been confronted possibly. It's been dealt with. Uh, there's been apologies. It's been forgiven. Then we don't need to talk about that anymore. That's between that person and the Lord. We're going to cover that. We're going to let that um, 
Uh, not be forgotten in the sense, oh, well, you can wrong me as many times and I'll forget about it and just let you do it again. But we, we protect them. And so there's a good scriptural example that helps us to understand this in Genesis chapter 9. Uh, Noah and his sons, Noah and his wife's sons, their, their wives, they came off the ark. They're settling the land. And Noah, uh, it says this in Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. All right, so he's got three sons, right? Ham, Shem, and Japheth. So Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then his, his two brothers, Shem and Japheth, took a garment, laid it on their shoulders, and listened to the, to the lengths they went to honor their father. They, they put the blanket on their shoulders and they walk backwards. So there's two of them. They're walking backwards. The father's laying down here so they could drop the blanket over him without looking on his nakedness. They covered the nakedness of the father. Their faces were turned backward. They did not see. So they honored their father. Now the, that passage goes on to say what, when Noah woke and found out what happened, he cursed his son Shem and he blessed excuse me, he cursed his son Ham and he blessed his sons Shem and Japheth. So I don't think that Ham saw his father and ran out and said, quick guys, we need to get a blanket. He probably went out and said, hey guys, can you imagine what dad did? He's in the tent, he passed out. He was cursed by Noah. His brothers who covered the sin that Noah had committed were blessed. And so this is the idea of love covering a multitude of sins. So in our love for one another, uh, we, don't, we don't hide, we don't help with a, with a cover-up, we don't help try to get them out of things, but when it's done and over with, we, it's done and over with. We're not going to talk about it. So love covers a multitude of sins, but out of love, we are also hospitable, verse, verse 9 says. Show hospitality, hospitability, hospitality, <laughs> hospitable, hospitality. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You ever remember when your kids were little, maybe you have grandkids now and you're watching them, and when they would get in trouble, would you not just want to laugh at them sometimes? Maybe it's just me and Sarah. So we... The, the boys would get into, and I'm thinking when they were like two, three, four, you know, stuff they probably don't remember. They're fighting over their toys or they've done this and, and we call them to, to, to deal with, with whatever, you know, this has happened. And you just see like the defiance in them or you hear their excuses or they tell you things like just blatantly like, no, I don't know where it is, you know, and they're holding it behind their back. So what we often had to do was one of us would discipline, and then the other would kind of be behind the kids laughing at the whole situation. <laughs> and there was more than once where one of us would have to spell the other one off because there's, there's just such human... Is it just us? I, I don't know. That, this, that, this was our reality. So sometimes I imagine God doing the same thing, just kind of looking at us and smiling. Not that he's pleased with the way that we're thinking, or not that he's pleased with what we're doing, but he just knows that we're about to have an understanding. Does that make sense? 
And I'm, I'm putting something on God that's probably not there, but this is just helps me. So this past weekend, I was complaining to Sarah about the need to be hospitable. Like just kind of grumbling about it. And, uh, and of course she called me out on it, and she should have, that was the right thing for her to do. And, and, I, and I even said to her, before she called me out on it, I said like, I know I shouldn't feel this way, I'm just saying that's how I feel. You ever been there before, like you know that your attitude's wrong, but you're just dealing with the reality that it's still there? So I just imagine God was just smiling because this was probably last Sunday or Saturday, I think it was last Sunday, and I just imagine God smiling, thinking to himself, Jeff will be reading 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9 tomorrow morning, and he'll just be, it'll just confirm to him that he's right, that his attitude's wrong. So, um, and, and look, we, we love to host, we love to have people in our home, we, we thoroughly enjoy that. Sarah, Sarah is a wonderful hostess, and, um, and, and I could give you all kinds of excuses, but I was just being, I was just being wrong. When Peter writes here that we should be hospitable, he's not talking about our friends and our family. He's talking about strangers. There was like a culture of hospitality uh, during that time and in that region that if a stranger came into town, you'd welcome him into your home. If a traveler was passing through, you would welcome them into your home and say, you can stay with us for the night. We'll put, up, we'll put you up, we'll feed you, we'll take care of your animals, and we'll make sure you're provided for as you leave in the morning. So Peter's calling us to a lot more than just enjoy time with friends and family. Um, and, and here I was um, complaining about it. So, but this gives me a perfect example. It's fine if I want to stand up here and tell you about my pettiness, right? It would be wrong of Sarah to have gone around this week when she got to work to say, man, you wouldn't believe Jeff. He's supposed to be a pastor, and he doesn't even want to have people over to the house. Like that would, that, would, that would be a perfect example of her not covering my sin. I know Sarah, she wouldn't have been talking about that, that this week. And so that's a good example of how to cover someone's sin. We dealt with the sin at home. She doesn't need to go around town telling people that her pastor husband's unhospitable. Un Well, just speaking of that, it is Valentine's Day. Let's a little marriage tidbit for you. Speak well of your spouse, especially when they're not around. It's easy, you know, like if Sarah's standing right there for me to give her a compliment because that makes me look good, right? But when she's not around and, and you know, heaven forbid I'm around guys that are, are speaking poorly of their wives or ladies, if you're around women and they're speaking poorly of their husbands, take that opportunity to say, well, I'll tell you what, my husband is wonderful because he, my wife is the best because she, and, and use those opportunities to speak well of your wives. So um, because of our love, we cover sin. Because of our love for one another, we will show hospitality without grumbling. Uh, so the Lord's working on me with that one. But also because of our love, we use the gifts that God has given us uh, verse 10 says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Now, Peter here is talking about spiritual gifts, and he says, each one of us, 
as each has received a gift. He's writing to believers. He's saying each believer has received a gift, a spiritual gift, we call it. And these are abilities that God gives to individuals to give them a unique ability to serve him. It's for those who have believed in Jesus Christ as their savior, not for unbelievers. This is for Christians. And these gifts are given so that we can serve one another, so that we can further uh, Jesus' ministry on, on the earth. And these aren't like supernatural abilities in the sense of like a Marvel superpower. But this is the Holy Spirit at work in us to do the, the, the work and to do the ministry of the gospel that God has for us. Um, and, and if you want to read more about spiritual gifts, uh, some great, great places to go would be Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4. You could do some more reading on uh, spiritual gifts. But just a, just a few things on spiritual gifts. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. That means if you are a follower of Christ, you have been gifted by the, by the Father in some way uh, to do something. Um, and then we're, we're seeing that right here in 1 Peter 4 verse 10. In 1 Corinthians, we learn that nobody has all the gifts, right? Nobody's like a super Christian. We don't all have all the gifts. Nobody has all the gifts, but everyone has at least one gift. Um, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, these gifts are given by God. These aren't things that we earn. These aren't things we negotiate for. This is what God has given us. And then another thing we, we know about um, spiritual gifts, again, from Corinthians, they're given... Uh, for the common good to build up the body of believers. They're, they're, they're given so that we can encourage one another, we can exhort one another, we can serve one another. And by doing those things, we are representing Christ here on earth to those who don't know him. So those passages refer to, um, to, the, to the gifts, but here's another interesting thing. Every single one of these places, here in 1 Peter, in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 12, all of those passages about spiritual gifts also include instructions about loving one another. Romans, it says that we're to love with brotherly affection. Ephesians says when each person does their part, the body grows itself up in love. First Corinthians chapter 12 is speaking about spiritual gifts, and of course the next chapter is the love chapter, we call it, right? First Corinthians chapter 13. We're gonna read the first three verses. And he's, he's, he's talking about the spiritual gifts that he's just gone through in chapter 12. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is the basis for serving one another. Um, God loved us first, and therefore that's why we love one another. That's a great message for Valentine's Day, right? God loved us first, so we will love one another. So um, you want to express your love for that special someone today? Maybe you did it already this weekend. Serve them. Do we want to express our love to the Lord? Then we can serve the Lord. Do we want to um, bring glory to God in all that we do? Then we serve someone because of God's love for us. And so each one of us has received a gift. 
We use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. God's the one that gives the, the, the gifts, talents, and abilities. Um, he does this in, in various ways. Like each one of us is uniquely uh, gifted, both with a spiritual gift, but also with talents and abilities to accomplish what God has for us. I can't accomplish what God has for Gary. Gary can't accomplish what God has for Mike. We, we're each equipped, we're each gifted to accomplish what God has for us to do. And it makes me think of the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. And this can be a little bit confusing because we ha- when we say talent, we're thinking of some sort of ability, some sort of skill that we have. But when we read of the talent in Matthew chapter 25, he's talking about a large sum of money. And so um, what does that mean? Well, s- some would say it- it's a talent was 75 pounds of a precious metal. So 75, a talent of silver or a talent of gold. So 75 pounds. Um, there was also those that would say, well, no, it's really more, more accurately, it would be to say um, a talent was 6,000 denarii or 6,000 days wages because a, a, day, a worker would earn a, a denarius on, on a given day's work. So if you did the math on that, that's like 20 years worth of work, say $15 an hour, $600,000. So I don't know, do your, whatever, whatever the parable is, you get $600,000, you get 75 pounds of gold, you get a lot of money. This is what's happening in Matthew chapter 25, the parable that Jesus is talking. So in the parable, um, the, the master gave the first servant five talents, or let's say $3 million. The second servant got two talents, or $1.2 million. And the third servant got $600,000, one talent. And uh, so the first two servants, they put, their, they put their money to work, and they earned more money, and, they, and, uh, and were uh, profitable, and were um, accomplished things with the money they were given. The third guy, what did he do? $600,000 and he just buried it. And of course, when the master came back, he had something to say to each of them. Well done, my good and faithful servant, to those who had taken what he had given him and put it to work for the good of the master. The one who took what he had been given, $600,000 or some precious gift that he'd been given and buried it, he said, you could have at least put it in the bank and got interest. And uh, he was not pleased with that servant. So what is that telling us? It's a picture of, of, of what we've been given. We've been given not $600,000. You might think, oh, I'd love that. But we've been given something more precious. We have the Holy Spirit within us, and we have the gifting and abilities because God wants to use us to accomplish his purposes on earth. Right? To just to sit around and say, well, I hope God... Uh, you know, I'm praying for a revival that God will do, do a revival in, in our nation. Well, I, that's, a, that's a great prayer to pray, but do you realize if revival is to happen in our nation, it will happen because of God's work, but God's work through who? It's got to be somebody. It, it's through us. He chooses to use us. We're his ambassadors. So we've been given much. We might not have been given all the same, We've been given differently. God's made each one of us differently, but he doesn't want us to take what we've been given and just kind of bury it and say, well, somebody else will take care of things. 
God wants us to use what we've been given. Paul would write, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. And here Peter says, we are stewards of God's very grace. And what's the grace? That he's, first of all, saved us, but then given us gifts to be able to accomplish the work that he has for us. So we are to manage that and manage it well, not just to sit on it and say, well, somebody else will teach that Sunday school class. Somebody else will coach upward. Somebody else will help in the kitchen. We've all been given gifts to accomplish the work of the Lord. And verse 11 says this, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This is, this is our goal, right? This is our objective as we serve, whether that's uh, coming in and setting up chairs or cleaning up in the kitchen on Wednesday night or leading a small group or teaching a Sunday school class. Um, our goal is that uh, when, we, when we do these things, we do this through the strength and the power and the ability and the gifting that God's given us. Why are we doing it? Because not to make our name great. Oh man, you should go to Bob's Sunday school class. You should go to Dick's Sunday school class. Well, you should go to Larry's Sunday school class, right? Oh, you would love them. They're such good teachers. And they are. But do we go to a class because we have great teachers or is we go to the class because God's using these guys to sharpen us, to equip us to do the work of the ministry? Um, if, if you've, if you've uh, been on the news at all, you know that uh, the Super Bowl was, was that last week? Last Sunday, wasn't it? Sunday before? Tom Brady, seven Super Bowl rings, right? What are they, they're calling him the GOAT. And, if, and in sports terms, that means the greatest of all time, not, uh, not you know, somebody that needs to be shoved to the side. But he's the greatest of all time, so the discussion is, well, who's the greatest athlete ever to play baseball? Right? I don't know, maybe you say Babe Ruth. Who's the greatest hockey player of all time? Well, maybe great Wayne Gretzky. Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Maybe Michael Jordan. Larry Bird. You... <laughs> This might be the time to mention that the married men have won two turkey bowls and the single men have only won one. We're not trying to make, as Christians, we're not trying to make the list as being the best of all time, the best Sunday school teacher, the best uh, helper, the best servant, the, the one who's here the most, the one... That's not our goal. Our goal is to serve the Lord humbly with the gifts that he's given us, recognizing that it's him that allows us to serve. Whether we're teaching a class, uh, whether I'm standing here this morning, I'm not speaking because I think this is, this is good and, I, and, I, and I, if I could just get you guys to follow me, then I'll be great. I'm speaking because I believe this is God's word and if we follow it, then he will be glorified, then he'll be exalted, that, that he has given us this guidebook for, for, what do they say, the, the, the best life, live your best life or something? It, that's found in God's word. So if we speak, speak, speak as if you're speaking the oracles of God. You're speaking what God has given us to say through his word. If you are serving, serve by the strength that God supplies. And what is the result then? Not that I'm great, not that you're great, 
God's great, in order that in everything God be glorified through Jesus Christ. And Peter's already made this point earlier in chapter 2 when he said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God when? On the day of visitation, when Christ returns, he'll be glorified. We're not here to promote ourselves, we're here to promote God. It's God who gave the gifts. He, get it, he gave us the gifts according to his grace. Through the gifts that God's given us, we speak God's words. When we serve, we serve with the strength that God gives. That's how we give glory to God because we say, it's not really me doing it. You say, it's not really me doing it. It's God has given me the ability to do it. And because of his strength and because of the passion he's put in me and because of the skills he's given me, I've been able to do these things for him. It's him that gets the glory. This is the result. God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that's my prayer for all of us this morning. That we would always be aware that Christ's return could come at any time. And because it could come at any time, we're going to love one another. And our love will, will drive us to be hospitable. Our love will drive us to serve because of the gifts God's given us. The, our love will drive us to speak the truth of God, whether that's through teaching or encouraging or admonishing. But it's because God's given us the ability to do that. And it brings him glory. It spreads his name in, in, our, in our church, in our families, in our workplaces, our community, and beyond the world. So... Let's pray this morning that God's love would be in us to accomplish his purposes for us and that he would be glorified. God, you are the one that is to be worshipped this morning. You are the one that uh, deserves all the glory and all the honor. It was Jesus, it was you that came and lived a perfect life and yet gave your life so that we might have life. And now you sit at the right hand of the Father God, you're the one to be glorified. Jesus, you're the one to be honored this morning. Lord, I pray that it would be our heart's desire that because you loved us and you sent your son to die for us, that we would then in turn love one another through serving, through sharing truth, through being hospitable, through covering sins. Lord, would you use us to do your will uh, in, this, in this church this morning, in our families, and in our community. Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning that says, man, I'm not, no, I don't know if I'm ready for Jesus to come back. I haven't set things right with him. Lord, I pray that that person this morning would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you um, that it's so simple that we just admit that we're a sinner, that we believe that you died on the cross for our sins, and we just, we just acknowledge that. We say, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I, I believe that Jesus died for me, that he paid for my sins so that I might, declare, might be declared righteous before God. Lord, I just ask that uh, we would have a heart's desire to glorify you in all that we do until either you take us home or until you return. Lord, would you give us that desire? You've given us gifts, you've given us abilities, you've given us talents to be able to do what you have for us to do. Would we as believers now put our faith and trust that you will carry out what you've promised to do? Lord, give us willing hearts to serve. Give us willing hearts to love. Give us willing hearts to do what you call us to. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.